listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast, and we want to thank everyone for joining us today. We're making this recording just at the latter part of October 2019. Uh, again, seasons are changing and uh, people are fishing for different types of fish and preparing for the winter in the United States and the summer in, in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. And so uh, we just want to give you an idea of uh, when we're recording this for uh, perpetuity. Today we have a great guest and I've uh, had the privilege of uh, calling him a client and friend for a number of years and we're going to be talking about tarpon fishing in Florida. And so without further ado, Michael, are you on the line? I am sure am, Ted. I'm here. Hey, terrific. Well, Michael is a charter captain uh, that works out of Punta Gorda, Florida. Sometimes I, I roll my uh, A's in there. Sorry about that, Michael. And um, it's a, a Punta Gorda fly fisher. Is that right? Is the name of the company? Yeah, PuntaGordaFlyFishing.com. You bet. Terrific. Well, Michael, um, give us a little background on uh, how in the world you ever got into the fishing business and, and uh, how long you've been doing it and, and uh, you know, uh, just a little about yourself. Wow. Yeah, sometimes if you really think about how it all came around and how you got here, it's, it's a pretty interesting thought. But actually, I've been guiding uh for like 18 years now i think since 2002 uh, and we're almost into 2020 uh -huh. and i've always felt i've always loved uh fishing a small skiff and fishing where it's visual uh you know not a place where i'm going offshore and dropping deep on a structure you know and just pulling things straight up i've always loved being able to right work my way down a shallow tidal grass flat, uh, be able to see all kinds of stuff in the water, not just fish. Uh, and, and I've always, I've always enjoyed, I found out that I enjoyed taking people fishing. Uh, and I probably enjoy taking people fishing and watching them fish and, and getting to know them and becoming friends more than, uh, I like to fish. I do uh -huh. enjoy my time on the water alone when I'm doing some research and looking around, but, uh, I just, it's something I, I just always wanted to do. And I saw some maybe TV shows way, way back in the day, maybe 30 years ago. And I said, well, that, and it just hit me one day that that's me. That's who I am. And, you know, I'm not an office guy. I'm, I'm uh, not a political guy. And I just, uh, that to me was, was, uh, it just felt right. And it's where I feel most comfortable uh, when I'm out there. It's where I get my space. Uh, it's where I can kind of get away mm -hmm. from the world a little bit. And, and you know, it's it's just in the mangroves and grass flats and oyster bars and out in nature like that is, is just where I feel most at home. Oh, that's cool. Now, did you fish as a, as a young man? Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually grew up in the Keys, uh, oh, and that's really? where I caught my first fish. And I'm a pretty much a Florida boy. Uh -huh. uh, and so I have uh, been fishing – since I was a little boy, you know, in my age, when we were young, you know, it wasn't a digital world like it is now. So you either 
and even TV didn't exist a whole lot, not much of it. Uh, and so, right. you know, when you want, you had to get outside. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I've always, you know, stick and ball sports are good, and I enjoyed those as a kid. But uh, being on the water, you know, when I was young, you know, in the 60s, I'm 62. And, you know, in, in the mid to late 60s, when I was a young boy, and, you know, you would go out and get on the flats in, like, Key Largo, it was just, it was magical. Uh, oh. You know, and, and it was, it was just a, it, it was before, back then, you know, the guides, you know, didn't have the technology and the fancy flats boats that we have today, you know, and those guys made their own boats, and they pulled from the bow and pushed the back of the boat first, and uh, I remember when, you know, they didn't even have pull-up platforms back then until a gentleman named Bill Curtis came up with it. Who knows when? I forget the date. But it was just uh, a real, real wonderful time uh, in the golden age of the sport. You know, and there was probably at that time in the Keys, you probably could count the flats guides, which is what I am, on the one right. hand that went from Keys to Key West, you know, now, of course, it's, it's, it's a whole different world everywhere. But so it was just, uh, it's just something that, you know, sometimes you, you experience something. And uh, that's why it's important, I think, for, you know, people to experience a lot of things, because sometimes you, you, you run across something and you go, you know, this is what makes me, this is where I feel alive. And after the end of the day, when I've had a great time with some clients and I'm on my way home, uh, you know, it's the only time I really feel alive. Oh, that's cool, man. That is cool. Now, now just to give uh, listeners that are not from your part of the world sort of an idea of uh, some terminology we may be using, down in Florida, there are really kind of two different types of charters or guides. There's inshore and then offshore, and that you are, we would be considered an inshore guide. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, you know, offshore is probably the thing that people think of the most uh, because it's there's more of it and it's uh, it's more typical, you know, where you get on a boat and you go into the ocean uh, and a Mm -hmm. lot of times are head boats and head boats are where, you know, a big boat, maybe 30 feet long, you know, puts 10, 12 people on and you you chug out to uh, bottom structure and you drop your bait straight down, uh, and inshore uh, is basically on most of the time uh, that I fish, uh, you know, I'm in water that's not even as deep as my knee, you know, so, and the boat, and there's only one or two people on my skiff at a time, Uh, it's not a Mm -hmm. party, it's very, very uh, personable, Uh, one of the the, the way my boat, which is a flat skiff, uh, performs best, is with one person on the bow and, and me on the, the pulling platform, and that's how the boat rides the quietest. You know, it's it's I fish what's called a technical pulling skiff. It's a Maverick, and basically mm-hmm. what it's built to do is, first of all, you know, when you're in really deep water like you would be in offshore, you know, you might be in 30 feet, maybe 60 feet, and you know, when that boat's up there on top of the fish, the the fish don't really are affected by you being there. But you get on on the flats, and you know you get in anywhere from a foot to two and a half feet of water, and the fish feel your presence. You know, they, you know, fish don't like they're they basically are in an area, and they live there twenty four seven. 
And when it's shallow water like that, they can see up through the water column, and they know when something's not right in their world, and they feel the boat, and they hear noise, and if you drop something in the boat, they're going to hear it. So the, where I'm going with that is a technical pulling skiff is built to be able to glide through the water, and I push it with a pole, with a push pole, with what's called a minimal hull slap. So basically, the boat doesn't make a lot of noise. You, you get a boat that it has different kind of chimes and is a deeper V. When you're in the water and, and the waves are slapping against it real lightly, you know, throughout the day, that that does affect the fish and it makes them harder to catch because they basically are, you know, they kind of get wary. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a mm-hmm. little pulling skiff. It's really light. It pulls easy, and it runs really shallow, which is important. Which we can get into. Which it allows me to. Uh, navigate and to gain access to where I want to go without destroying the bottom, which is really important because that's the habitat. Uh-huh. Well, very good. Very good. Well, you know, in a way, it sounds more like hunting than it does fishing because you're, you're, you're trying to spot your quarry. And... Yep, it's hunting for sure. That's actually what makes it kind of neat. It's a whole different experience. That's a really good analogy. Uh, and a lot of times when you're hunting and you're, you're visually looking for your quarry, uh, if the water's too clear, uh, and the one rule, one of my favorite species to, to fish for, you know, besides the tarpon, is, is snook and redfish. And typically if you see them in the water, there's a pretty good chance they've already seen you. So mm-hmm. they... Uh, you know, that they are, can get pretty wary. And so if you get far enough in the backcountry where you get a little bit of uh, additional freshwater runoff from land, from creeks, the water becomes a little more tannic or stained, but it's still clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that allows uh, us to be a little more, we can get closer to fish than we would if it was in gin clear water like it is closer to the, the Gulf. So it is hunting. Uh, It really, really is. And the most exciting thing that can happen on my skiff is, uh, is I've got a customer on the bow and I see a fish and I generally see him before they do because I'm higher than they are and I know what I'm looking for. And I will let them know I've, you know, I see a redfish, you know, and it's right over, you know, I'll, I'll give you, give them a clock setting or a point to it and they look and they see it. And, you know, a redfish hasn't, isn't bothered yet by us, and then they make a cast, and then you actually get – you're able to watch the fish come up to your fly, see it, and eat it, and the take visually. And then, of course, when the big boil blows up in the water is really one of the more beautiful parts of our sport is, is really it's all about the eat mm-hmm. and the take. Uh, and then, of sure. course, and, and then when they get to see that – and, and as a guide, uh, a lot of times I don't look at it like, okay, I'm taking somebody fishing. You know, you, you have to – I do keep in mind that this is probably maybe the first time this person has ever experienced this kind of situation. So you're guiding them to an adventure of something they never get to do and they never get to see or very seldom. And they get to experience something like that, and it's really, really, it's a, it's, it's, it's just great. It's really, really cool. And then you set, 
you, know, you set it, you know, and then you got to get it to keep the fish, keep the fish out of the bushes. And there's just so much, uh, it's, it's really an experience and uh, that's really what it's all about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for people that have not fished top water, you're exactly right. That's such a magical moment in seeing that fish rise to your artificial, you know, fly that you've had the, you know, had placed just perfectly and then hope and pray that uh, they feel comfortable enough trying to smack it. And when they do, it, it's just this thrill that goes through you, isn't it? Yep, it's the, sa- it's the same exact thing as, and top water's a blast, and I, do, I throw it a lot. And I'll, throw, I'll throw soft plastics, and I'll throw it to top water. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, one of my, one of my one things I'll do is uh, if I'm, like, scouting and looking for fish, uh, I don't necessarily want to catch them because I don't want to mess them up uh, right. you know, for the next for my customer. So I'll actually take the hooks off of the top water. And, and, oh, and I'll basically, yeah, yeah, because one of the things with top water is if you go like to a spinning rod is you can really, really cover ground. Uh, and, and one of the things you want to do when you are scouting on the flats, because, you know, the old adage that, you know, 80% of the fish are in 20% of the places is true. And on a, on a saltwater tidal flat, it's like a vault. Uh, it's not like you go offshore again and you say, okay, there's a ledge here. There's an artificial reef mm-hmm. here. The fish are always there. And you drop down on a, on a GPS location. On the flats, it's tidal. Uh, and, and depending on where the tide's coming in, where the tide's going out, fish move around a little bit. So you can go to play. I can go somewhere, somewhere on an incoming tide and, you know, catch a few fish, go back to that same spot on an outgoing tide. It's a ghost town. So, oh, okay. it, you know, yeah. So, you know, it's like you're tr- every day you're trying to open this vault and, and figure out, you know, where the fish move and what are they keying on. And they do move in and out with the tide based on the food availability. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, and so if you get back to a, a plug, the one thing about a plug is you can throw it a long way. So True. what you can do is when you get on a flat, you know, the first thing I want, I want to see life. I want to see some birds. I want to see some bait. I want to see some mullet jumping. And so mm-hmm. with a with a plug, you know, you can throw it a lot further than you can throw a fly. So what I'll do is I'll go out and I'll even take the hooks off, and I'll just just systematically cover an area. And if something comes up and, and hits the plug, it's going to hit it. It's 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 not going to. It'll feel you know whatever the plug's made of wood or metal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but it won't get hooked, so it'll just figure. Well, I don't know what the heck I just ate. It was a piece of coral or something. So you know, hopefully, when you come back, you know, in three or four days on the same tide, uh, you know, and your customer has a shot at one, that fish won't be thinking, "Oh, geez, last time I ate something looked kind of strange." Uh, I, I I took a ride to a boat <laughs> before they let me go. So right. I do that, and it's it's a real uh, it, it it's quite interesting the the liveliness and, and the way that it's so uh. Uh, everything just dynamic and, and the flats just change every day. Ba- and every day is different based on wind, mm-hmm. tide, boat traffic. Uh, I, the other day, it was so calm for the first time I saw more than a dozen porpoises in one spot. Holy you know, and, and you can, yeah, and it, it, I've never seen that many. And, and you, know, you can get on a flat and 
once the porpoises move in, you know, it, it pretty much makes it pretty tough because the fish get really defensive because, you know, sure. the porpoises, he, they are the, uh, they're, they're the, they're the top of the food chain, you know, and when they come in, they get what they want. They do what they want. And, you know, a, 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 you know, now with tarpon, it's more sharks, but, uh, you know, so when something like that does move up on a flat, nature has a way of, uh, shutting down the flat just because, okay, the big bad corpse is here. We better go hide in the bushes and the fish all kind of get, go, go scurrying and hide. So it, it's, 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 a, it's just a really, really interesting experience. Yeah, I, I think we were, uh, I was referring to, you know, how dynamic the flats are and, and they just change every day uh, based mm-hmm. on the conditions. And, the, you know, and one of those conditions is, you know, predation. And, you know, a porpoise, which is the top of the food chain on the flats, uh, I, I saw quite, quite a few of them the other day. And, and if you've never seen porpoises in the wild, and then you you know you're on the skiff and they're rolling you know not far from the boat. It's it's people love that kind of stuff. But what those porpoises will do is is when they come up on a flat and they can get in pretty shallow water. You know they can be in two two and a half feet of water. Wow, really? Uh, the, the the fish will shut down. They'll basically uh, huh. go lay somewhere and hide in the bushes or in a hole uh, because they know that you know they don't want to end up you know getting attacked by the porpoise. So. If you're on a flat, you know, you see stuff like that, which is just another part of the dynamicness of a flat is that uh, when a porpoise rolls in, you know, you pretty much either need to just wait, sit down and wait till they move on, which they will, or, you know, just, just you know, go go move to another flat. Uh, right. But, yeah, so I will use, you know, to back to the plug, I'll, but I'll use those, uh, what I'll call locator bait, something to prospect. Uh, because I can just mm-hmm. cover so much ground, and it's a great way to uh, to find where the fish are. And also, you know, one of the things I try to, to to teach people is that if you're out and you catch a couple fish or you see fish, and the tide's incoming at a certain level, and now with today's technology, you can tell exactly what the level is by at least what's on the the recordings. Uh, you know, like a tide basically here we get a two foot tide swing. It's not really great. But for right. here, it's a lot. So if tide's coming in and it's a 1.0, uh, and really all that means is if you look on a tide chart, there's usually a number based on water level. And, uh, that is technically supposed to be an annualized low tide for that given spot, which is zero. So if it's right. a 1.0, okay. then it's a foot above that zero. If it's a negative, it's a mm-hmm. negative. So come to a flat and you see some fish and it's an incoming tide at a 1.0, then what I generally try to do is, hey, you know, make a mark, make a note. And then if you come back to this tide or this flat and that tide's about the same thing, there's a good chance there could still be fish in that spot, whether it be an oyster bar or whatever. But if you come to that flat on an outgoing tide and it's a 0.2, those generally fish have moved somewhere else uh, because of the conditions and then they uh it's really tough to figure out flats that's why you have to spend so much time out looking all the time and making mental notes because it's pretty cool it's not it's not you know go to a and drop b and and drop this and you know there's usually fish there it's uh it's pretty cool yeah yeah now you've got a 
<clears throat> an, an island around you called Pine Island. Is that right? Yeah, Pine Island is uh, south of me a little bit. It's an easier drive than it is a boat ride. Uh, mm -hmm. And I will fish that. I really like to fish Pine Island from like November to April. Uh, oh, okay. And the reason is, first of all, if you look at Pine Island on a map, the island itself, there's a couple different the island is on, on by land and by water. Uh, it's it, there's some really interesting things to notice. By land, you'll notice when you get to Pine Island how uh, undeveloped it is. Uh, it's it's as close as you're going to find to old Florida that I know. Uh, you won't mm -hmm. see any condos, any strip malls. You won't see a lot of gas stations. It's just not built up with amenities like most of Florida is, and it's not paved over. Now, by right. water, if you look at Pine Island, and I fish, you know, that, that west side of Pine Island, uh, it's almost in the ocean. Uh, it's really close to the Gulf. It's only separated from the Gulf by some barrier islands, which are basically Cayacosta, Captiva, and Sanibel. Now, those mm -hmm. places do but and it also Pine Island, the water is really shallow because it just it, it's just the way Mother Nature built it, and it is fed by three passes. So you've got you know going from north to south, you've got Boca Grande, you've got Captiva, you've got Redfish Pass. So these mm -hmm. are all passes. We call them inlets. We call them passes here on this side of the world, and that's where fresh water every day on those tides is getting flushed in and flushed out, which really makes it the cleanest, clearest water of an expanse of flats that we really have here. So that's where the visual comes from. And then the, and the grass flats and the mangroves on the mangrove islands are what give it uh, the, uh, the habitat that makes it so important. Because mm -hmm. a, a turtle grass flat, turtle grass is an amazing thing, and the amount of life on it that you can't even see uh, is is really really amazing. And then it just works up the food chain. So you know the, the fish are where the, if there's no groceries, there's typically no fish. So the fish do sure. need food, and they need they need food, and they need habitat. And habitat's the most important because one of the biggest problems in a lot of places, and here too, is that as we develop. Uh, for us, we make less habitat for fish. And if they don't have a place to live, then, you know, it, it, it causes problems. And then, of course, you throw in the food. So, and, and from November, November, December, January, and February, uh, in wintertime here, we have our lowest tides of the year uh, and during the day. Uh, and so what you get is, is when you have low tides, the fish have less places to roam. When the tide comes oh, okay. up, the fish can move around a little bit. So when the water, when you get, if you get to Pine Island or anywhere, and wintertime tides, access is very, very difficult. In other words, you can just run oh. aground all day and not make any progress. Now the good thing about the part of Pine Island that I like is there's a, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, 
the ground is very forgiving in that it's soft because it's all turtle grass. There's no really, there's not a whole lot of oyster bars and hard bottom, which really can do damage to your lower unit, your hull, if you were hit them at speed. And the double-edged sword part is that you need to be able to get around in these parts without damaging the seagrass and the habitat that make it the, the great place that it is. And, and thirdly, and actually for me, what's most important is during that winter time, very few boats, there's more and more all the time, but compared to when water's high later in the year, not a whole lot of boats can get back in there. And so what happens is, is there are, you know, it's like a yard, you know, that has potholes and just rough spots and rough patch and not everything's a carpet. So what uh -huh. the fish do is tide drops out. The fish basically have to drop into these holes and, and cuts and deeper spots and they have to wait there until the tide comes up and they can start roaming around. So if you can get back into some of these places on low water, then, you know, you, the fish get a little, I'm not going to say locked up, but they get grouped up in, in, in little pockets and places. And it's much easier to find them than it is when water gets really high and they can, you know, move around. So mm -hmm. I like to fish the winter low tides because my skiff is light and really drafts pretty shallow. And, and, from November, December, and January, and February, that's pretty much what Pine Island has to offer. And then as you get more into spring and the tides start to come up, then more boats are moving around. And, of course, that's when the tarpon come in, so that's when uh, it, it gets to be good. And, you know, the tarpon migrate. And we have a lot of resident tarpon here, and, and I'm, I'm looking for them more and more all the time. But the, the tarpon that make this place so famous is the migrating carpet that come out of the keys and go to the everglades and then come up here and mm -hmm. of course they move to the north and <clears throat> pine island being in the south uh they basically show up there first before they even show up to boca grand so during that spring in april uh they start showing up there and, and uh you know you still it's still clear and it's the water in pine island is is because there is no freshwater uh, influence from river systems like there is in the top of the harbor uh, means mm -hmm. it does not get freshwater runoff. So the freshwater coming into saltwater mixing is what makes an estuary. And an estuary is a beautiful thing because it's a nursery and it's where fish are. Like when the tarpon and snook and, and they all uh, spawn in deeper water and somehow mm -hmm. through a miraculous picture, the larva and the eggs get flushed in by the tide into the brackish water, the tannic water of the estuary, and these fish grow up in mangroves and little backcountry creeks and stuff like that. So a lot of where I fish is a nursery, but oh, yeah. and but but that water down there is so much clearer uh, than it is at the northern part. That just really really adds to the uh, visual effect, and it, it's amazing what you see when when. When you're when you stare at that water all day, you see all kinds of life. Oh, I'll bet. And it and it sounds like in the months that you fish, there isn't a whole lot of pressure in the in the places where you fish. Do you, do you see many other boats during the day? No, that's the beauty. I can go back. I go way back in the back, uh, mm -hmm. and and the, in the back country, and and. Uh, during the week, I try not to fish on the weekends unless I have to, unless somebody, that's the only time they can get out. 
Uh, I right. think, but during the week, uh, I won't see another boat for hours, which is wow. unheard of in Florida. And, yeah, and, no it's, and I, I see more commercial boats. I'll see some, uh, some, some, uh, some, some mullet guys. Uh, maybe that's about it, but really, no, I don't. It's, and that's the beauty of it. That's why I go down there. Uh, and, and I fish that that's all part of the, 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 the great part of that whole time of year is that I can get away from a lot of boats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing, man. And, and, and fishing the shallows and being able to, to see the fish and, and, and stock them yourself. I mean, what a great experience that would be. Hey, you know, it, it, it's really, really fun. I, what's really interesting is there's certain flats that I fish. And be, what I'll generally do is in the morning, it's really too low even for me to get in the backcountry. The water, there's just no water. Uh, right. So I, I have flats out, uh, out in the open that I'll fish that are still really difficult to get to. I mean, you might see a kayak coming out there. Uh, but what I loved it, what, what's really fun is that you get out there when the tide's dropping because it's hard to get out there when it's really low. You almost have to get out of your boat sometimes and push it to the flats you want over the bars by hand. Oh, really? It's that shallow. Oh, wow. But if you can get out there when the tide's dropping and get to the spots you want to fish, you know, I have a flats that are just like have just way more holes than you can actually cast in a day. And some of these mm -hmm. holes are the size of uh, a five-gallon bucket, and some of these holes are the size of a car, uh, and uh -huh. some of these holes are the size of a swimming pool. And so, but when the tide completely drops out, when that tide starts to come in, and it starts, and, and you, what you really see is when you look out, you'll see dry land all around. And you'll see the birds. And, of course, wintertime, we have a lot of birds here because they all migrate. Yeah. That's yeah. where the snowbird came from. And the birds are feeding, and the birds are on the flat getting food off the bottom that they cannot get when there's water because it's too deep. So they're taking advantage of low water to eat. Then when the tide right. starts to come in, you just never know when they're going to do it. But all of a sudden, you start to see redfish tailing everywhere. Oh, really? And oh what, wow! And what they do is, is they're coming off out of the deeper spots, and they're coming up on the flats be, while they can get there, but while they can still root into into the ground, into the turtle grass before it gets too high. And then, so you know, you have one kind of visual experience where you're you're pulling a mangrove shoreline or you're pulling a flat, and you see a fish just kind of lollygagging or laid up, and it hasn't seen you yet. You can try to, you know, put a cast in front of it and move it so that the fish thinks it's real but then sometimes mm -hmm. you get you know, all of a sudden you just look out and you see tails start just popping up and these are and, and everybody loses it because you know it's one thing casting when you don't really see a fish and you're casting to structure you're casting to a spot but right when you stack eyeball a fish it, we i you know i call we call it like red fever like you know you have buck fever and can't whatever that <laughs> right. is see the fish and all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, there's a fish there and your line gets tangled up. It gets wrapped around your shoe. You kind of lose your composure because it's just so tight. <laughs> and it, it, it's, so it, the, 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 it, that's part of uh, the whole thing is trying to get the flat when it's low. And then when it, what happens is when that water comes up, that's a window. 
And when that mm-hmm. water comes up, those, you know, you can't see them anymore. Well, then we head right. to the back country because you want to get to those mangrove islands uh, because the fish, especially snook and redfish, you know, they, they like to be close to shore because it's protection. And if mm-hmm. you get to that shoreline, when that tide's still low and you can just float the boat, but the tide's come up, it's amazing the fish you can see moving up and down a shoreline and you can throw out. And then once tide real high in the mangrove shoreline, you can't see anything again anyway, and you completely lose your visibility. So yeah, mm-hmm. there is a lot of visual aspect of all this, and, and the nature and the experience uh, is uh, is really, really wonderful for the senses. Oh, I'll bet. It's pretty cool. I'll bet. Now, you, you mentioned that you catch uh, uh, redfish and also snook. We talked a little about tarpon. What other types of fish do you have in those areas, Michael? Uh, spotted sea trout uh-huh. and sheep's head and jack. Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, you, yeah, I mean, the main, my main, typically the, the main three uh, in the winter are spotted sea trout, redfish, and snook. Now, the snook, the, the funny thing about those three fish are the spotted sea trout, and we have some really big spotted sea trout here, and, and, and they're very, very uh, cooperative. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the fish, like take a snook or a redfish, they can be pretty finicky. And uh, a, a, a good analogy I heard one time of a spotted sea trout, it's kind of like having a teenager that keeps going and leaving the refrigerator door open. Uh, spotted okay. sea trout love, love to eat. You know, you, you find a hole with spotted sea they, they They're really – I've always called them the family fish because when I used to fish live bait a lot, uh, and you needed a fish that, you know, you might catch a couple, a nice snook or a nice redfish, but if you wanted numbers and you could find a bunch of schoolie trout, they'll just, mm-hmm. you know, they, that's what they're like. So in the wintertime, trout like it cold. They are, they don't like it cold, cold. I mean, this is Florida now we're talking about. It's all relative. Right. But they like the cool time winter terms. They do not like the heat of summer. Snook, on the other hand, love the heat. There, they like it hot. So when it's cold yeah. in the winter, they, yeah, they're in this cold in the winter. They're kind of, you know, they're they're kind of like not all that comfortable, but they're they're hanging out. And redfish can, they're pretty flexible. They they don't mind it cold because they'll live up. They live up in North Carolina, for, you know, and uh, they mm-hmm. don't mind it hot. So redfish are kind of your all around fish. And then uh, there's a ton of sheep's head around here. I saw the other day, but I saw a hundred sheep's head on fifteen or twenty different shorelines and. They're really difficult to get to eat a fly uh, because mm-hmm. they're picky. They'll eat all day long, but a lot of sheep's head. And then you'll just get these. Uh, the other day I was on a flat and uh, I saw birds diving, you know, and generally when, and when I see birds diving, that means something's going on in the water. Typically what happens when birds are diving is uh, there's something down there pushing, working on the minnows or the bait fish. And what they're mm-hmm. doing is, is they're, they're attacking these schools of bait fish. You know, they're missing a few, they're nipping a few, and little pieces of scales and little parts of bait fish are going to the surface. And then the birds see that from who knows where because they come out of nowhere, and the birds start coming down and diving on what's left of the of the bait or what's easy pickings. So it's your food mm-hmm. chain again. So I saw that and I just kind of wheeled over and, and we had jack there was jacks on that flat attacking bait for 
it was a couple hours, you know, and then, you know, I, so I put away my, my, uh, and I was out by myself scout and I put away my scouting rig, which would have been a, at that time, a spinning rod. And I just grabbed my fly rod and I, I was, I got tired of catching them. It was great. So, but, but Jack's move it, they move, you know, snook and redfish and trout are very, uh, they're homebodies. They basically like a little area and stick around. Jack's come through like in a bus. Uh, and they blow up an area, then they move on. But you know, so we do have really? jacks, and they're they're great. And then jacks are just like trout. Uh, you put something in front of them, they're going to eat it. You know, we also have bluefish and pompano in the winter. Uh, we have uh, mm-hmm. we have uh, Spanish mackerel. Uh, so there, you know, oh, wow. salt water. One, yeah, the one thing that's cool about, it, especially Pine Island, if you look at it on a map and you look at uh, Pine Island Sound, which is where I fish. It's really not that far from the ocean. So the thing about the salt is you never know what's going to be there. It could be anything yeah, on true. any given day. So you just you just never know. And, and uh, you know, you take what you eat. You basically every day you try to figure out the vault and you take what Mother Nature gives you. And, and you, mm-hmm. know, you have to be thankful for what she does give you. Amen. Absolutely. So and, in, and in regard yeah. So in regards to the fishermen that fish, that fish with you, Michael, uh, what sort of experience are people looking for when they book with you? Well, typically, uh, this this is a place where people come to visit friends. It isn't uh-huh. this isn't really like ease where it's a destination spot. I mean, with the exception of maybe tarpon during tarpon season, which is a couple months of the year, uh, mm-hmm. people are here but they're fishermen and they come and they say, well, well I'm here. I want to go. I want to, I'd like to see what, what, what's here. Uh, right. and, and t- typically it's, uh, they, they want whatever's biting, uh, is, is the biggest, uh, query I get, but uh, typically they want to catch uh, a redfish or a snook mm-hmm. over the course of a year. Those are the most, uh, those are the most popular glamor, if you want to call it species. Uh, but, right. but when it comes right down to it, uh, there, that's the beautiful thing about throwing flies. You know, when you're stripping it and, and, and something eats it, uh, it's such a a, hand, you know, a hand-to-hand combat kind of thing that uh, it, once something eats a bait and then they get a they get a pull, uh, you know, then it's 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 exciting, but I would say redfish or snook. And, and, you know, a lot of people have never been here. They've never seen the area. So there's so much to see when you're out there and you just never know what you're going to, you know, see. Uh, but typically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a redfish or a snook is the two most popular day in and day out target fish. Got it. And, and you're pretty much just catch and release. Are you not? Always. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, right now you, you have to release everything anyway, but, oh, uh, you know, cause we had a yeah, years ago, we had a really bad red tide. Uh, and we've actually, they've been, and one of the things that the state has done is they have made until next summer, until this, you know, the summer coming up and when they review the stocks, uh, snook, redfish, spotted sea trout are all catch and release mandatory. But even if they weren't, oh. I am. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, and, and that's that's to try to give everything a a fighting chance to come back. Uh, typically, sure. if some, but you know, if that wasn't the case, if uh, 
if if somebody you know wanted to bring a cooler and keep fish, I'd find them somebody else to go. Yeah, I'm pretty much. Mm-hmm. But you know what I found is that um, the one of the reasons you know I fish live bait for years. You know, I, I I probably have done mostly fly for the last I'm going to say five or six years. Uh, before yeah. that, for ten years, I, I fish live bait, and uh, the the one of the reasons that that uh, besides I love the sport. It's just a great sport. Throwing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the great. Getting good at throwing the line is fulfilling all in itself. And I have people on the boat uh, that are just cast the haul You can't get them to stop because it, casting is so much fun. Uh, right, and right. Uh, it, it really, really is. But, and, but most of the people that I get, uh, the fly fishing uh, demographic, uh, they're all catch and release anyway. They don't want to keep anything. Uh, yeah. A lot of them debarb their own hooks. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of real, but a lot of my guy, a lot of my my customers, my clients, they want to bring their own gear because they, you know, they've invested in gear, but they never mm-hmm. get to use it. You know, what out is that you know, life is complicated, life is busy, uh, and even though you're a, 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 you know, you're a fisherman, you never get to go because life, you know, and and. Uh, you know, one thing about being a guide is that that's part of what drives me is I get to let people experience something they really, really want to do, but they never get a chance to because of that. You know, and right. I feel really lucky to to do what I do and to be out there. And, and a couple things come with that. One, you make a lot of compromise and sacrifice in your life because, you know, you don't get rich being a fishing guide. You know, you're mm-hmm. not in it. You know, I'm, it, that's just not why you do it. Uh, you do it because you love the sport. You love being out there, and you know you realize you know that you only get so many years on the planet, uh, and it's really, really wonderful to be able to do something you enjoy and you look forward to. And also the fact that I get to help people uh, experience that and and come down and uh, and 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 be able to do something they really love to do. I'll take them back in the back, and then they just look around at. There's so many mangrove shorelines you couldn't cast them in, in, in a year, and you know not all hold fish unfortunately, but uh, it's it's really fun uh, helping people that really want to get out and, and appreciate nature and, and and want to give back and want to take care of it. Uh, you know yep. we'll see a piece of garbage, we always pick it up. Uh, we'll see a lure, a cork stuck in a mangrove, we'll go get it. So it's, it's mm-hmm. I guess where I'm going. With that. The, the the customers that I get to take that like to fly fish are such a joy to be with, and, and it's a different nut than, you know, the group that wants that he wants to pile on the boat, you know, with a cooler full of beer, you know, and right you know, and do that. And that. I don't enjoy that, and that's not me. And if that's what it was, I would do something else for a living. A- absolutely, well, a- absolutely, and and you know the type of fishing that you're doing, there there there's there, there's so much activity in it. You know, you don't have time to sit around very yep. much, do you? No, no, it's uh, and the day goes really quick. You know, six hours out in the boat goes real. And one of the uh, and one of the nice things about fishing Pine Island Sound, which I didn't even think about before, was that you know you have a little bit of a car drive, but once you get there, there's no boat run. And and right. you know because where we start fishing is so close to where we load the boat, you know, and in the winter time when the wind's blowing, you know, to go out and get beat up on a boat ride for a half hour, you know. But mm-hmm. when you're fly fishing between, uh, 
the mechanics and throwing the fly. There isn't. A, it's not you know like where you're just sitting around and, and putting your huckleberry fin with you know the old huck fin fishing, which I enjoy every once in a while too. Going out, putting your feet up, taking a cork sure. or a piece of skin shrimp, going out there and hanging out. But no, when you're when you're throwing fly, it's uh, yeah, I can sometimes I can't even get them to stop to eat. You know, not that I mm-hmm. care because I don't even want to. You know, they want to fish, they want to throw, they want to cast, uh, and, yep. and they'll basically go till till they're worn out. And, and I want them going home tired and, and worn out. And you know, I'm they want I want them to go home and and uh, maybe you know take a to take a an a leave and get an adult beverage and sit back and just <laughs> you you because when you see stuff in the water like that and you see fish, you, you and you've stared into the water all day looking for fish. Uh, You'll see that, and you're, you'll see that when you're laying there at night, and it uh, it sticks with you, and it's it's uh, it's a great experience, and it it makes for wonderful memories, and uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and they end up make they end up being your friends when it's all and, said and done over the whole time. Well, it, it sounds like you provide a very intimate type of trip where, uh, like it you is. were saying, you make, yeah. you make friends with people, you know, and and I say this a lot, and and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, is people in your profession. Uh, being fishing guides or charter captains, you know, you um, you work really, really hard. It isn't uh, just, uh, you, you know, a lot of people I'm sure tell you that, hey, gosh, Michael, you got the best job in the world. All you do is fish all day. Well, that's half my day, right? And the other half is cleaning up the boat and getting all the other stuff so, done. So the next group, right, that is going to have the yeah. same experience. But, you know, if it, what you do is you create memories for people and very vivid that's what, memories. Yeah. That's yeah, what and, it's all and, about. Yeah. 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 And, and the business, yeah, the business guy lived, you know, uh, lying on his deathbed, you know, just counting his breaths at that point is probably not thinking about all the business deals he did maybe, but probably not, but he's thinking yeah. about that 20 pound snook that Michael took him out of the catch. That's what he's thinking about, you know, and uh, yeah. um, it's just something that lasts forever in your mind, and and yeah. that's you know, and that's very good work, Michael. You know, and you know what's interesting about that is that's absolutely true. Is if I look back at the trips I've taken, like I've gone mm-hmm. to Louisiana a couple times, I've you know I'll go to the Keys or I'll go to the Everglades, and three or four years down the road. The memories I have have nothing to do with fish. Yeah. The ones that really stick out. Uh, you know, it, it, the, th- the, the beautiful thing that makes me think of something, one of the reasons why I love fishing for snook, for example, is I love hanging out where they live. It's mm-hmm. because these, these fish that we look for, whether it be a redfish, a snook, or a tarpon, they live in beautiful places. So, oh, yeah. So, you know, they don't live on, you know, on US 1, uh, you know, in a right. strip mall. Right. So, right. Yeah, part of the, you know, you're absolutely right. And uh, there's a lot of memories that uh, just, you get the, the whole thing, you get to guide these people to an experience that they don't, unfortunately, get to do often enough because life is busy. And, and that's the rewarding part. And some days yep. are better than others, you know, fish-wise, um, mm-hmm. you know, but that's fishing. And that's the fly guys understand that. Yep. Uh, fishing is fishing. 
and you can go out some days. You know, the fish are going to tell you. The fish are – what's going to happen when you go out and, and you fish is the fish are going to determine whether you catch a fish or not. Now, so you true. may lose a – they may come off. You know, you may uh, – if the fish aren't interested, and, you know, and, and uh, that brings a good point where here in this part of the world and many saltwater places uh, on a saltwater tidal flat, Tide is everything, and the mm-hmm. way the fish work is they need moving water, and moving water comes right. from tide flow. That's why your sure. best activity is on a good moon, which is a fuller new because there's more water moving. So, you know, but when you go out and there's not much water moving, it's a slack tide or it's a slow tide. Fishing's tough. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you can put a fly, you can make a great cast. And you can put it right across his nose and strip it, and he looks at it, maybe follows it for a second, but just not interested. But right. then if the fish, the fish are into it and they're aggressive and they're eating, and snook, snook turn on and off like a, like a dime, uh, you mm-hmm. can throw a fly two and a half feet from a fish, and you really realize how fast they move when the fish just comes out of nowhere and just gulps your fly down. So, you know, the, the fish – in the day, they determine whether, you know, the, the fish gods are going to help you out <laughs> or not. You just have to That's roll right. with it and, and enjoy being out there. And uh, But it is about the – it's really about the memories. You're absolutely right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I had the, the fortunate experience one time of spending two weeks uh, fishing for trophy rainbow trout on the Chit River, which is uh, – sort of in uh, southwestern uh, south, uh, Alaska. And it was one of those trains, planes, and automobiles to get to this place. We had to uh, fly a commercial to Anchorage, and then we uh, uh, got on a cargo plane that had some seats on it, and it took us to a little place called Dillingham. And then from Dillingham, we took, um, oh, about a two-and-a-half-hour uh, uh, float plane ride out to uh, the camp. And then from the camp, you would take a, um, a little skiff with a jet on it um, up to the Chit River. And that's where we spent two weeks fishing for, for Trophy Rainbow. And gosh, that was so much fun up there. And we were catching, you know, just pegs when it came to, you know, Rainbow. And it was all catch and release. And that was cool, you know. And, and uh, it, it makes you feel good when you release a fish like that. But on the way up yeah, yeah. to the Chit River every morning, our guide would say, you know, guys, let's take a detour and go over here and, and let's fish this uh, um, little estuary or, or the, this swampy area. He goes, I got something in there that you would like. And we would look at him and go, no, no, let's go catch rainbows again or graylings, you know. And um, uh, he goes, you know, one of these days, you know, in this next two weeks, we're going to drag you in there. And finally, the last day, the guy, when we got into his boat, he goes, we're not going where you want to go. We're going to go into the little estuary. And we, we, we go, oh, well, you know, okay, you've been telling us you're going to do this, but if we don't do any good up there, let's um, go back and trout there somewhere. And he goes, not a problem. So he took us into this little swampy area, and he put a mouse pattern on our rods, right? And he goes, now cast it over by the reeds. And, uh, you know, we, we cast out this mouse pattern, and it was a, it was a floating bait uh, or a floating fly. And, and you, you twitch it just a little bit, Michael. And all of a sudden, those reeds would part, and you'd have the most violent strike you've ever seen in your life. 
and it was these big pike that were living in there, you know, and I had never fished oh, a pike. Yeah. Holy smokes, that was just crazy, you know, and we had <laughs> such a great day, just me, me and a buddy, uh, there were six of us in our, in our group, and we were the only ones not fishing for trout that day, but we had more fun on that day catching and releasing pike than we did the entire other, you know, rest of the trip catching these 10 and 12 bound rainbow, you know, and uh, I'll all about never that forget it's all about yeah. the eat. That's that's exactly yeah. right. But to your point, we taught we talked the rest of the guys in the group to go out with us in the morning. The plane was going to pick us up in the afternoon and uh, take us back to um, civilization. And we went into those same estuaries. You think we could find a fish? None. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was there was nothing there. You know. <laughs> and so was the next know, day. It was the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Next yeah. Day? yeah. Sometimes yeah. you know. You can wear a spot out. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I'm, I'm sure we did. Yeah, yeah we. I mean, yeah, you have to yeah, be careful for that. I'm. Yeah, that's that's a great story. That uh, the pike, I was like a muskie. That's just a very very violent, aggressive, uh, eat. And though that's that's so much fun. That's why people enjoy tarpon fishing so much is mm -hmm. the eat. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it's an experience any, any uh, you know, any fisherman or even, even casual fisherman needs to experience in their life. It becomes very addictive. And, and uh, uh, one of these days, I'm going to get down to your part of the world and, and spend some time fishing. And, you know, I'd be interested in doing some deep sea fishing. But really what I'm interested in is what you're talking about. It's just a, it's just a hunt for those fish. What fun that would be. You would enjoy it. And I would, I would enjoy that too. So I hope that, uh, I know you're a long way off. I would hope, hope one day we can, we can pull it off before we each get too old. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Michael, how, how do people get a hold of you? They'd uh, like to uh, talk with you about booking a trip. I would say the best way is just uh, uh, go to my go to my website, which is uh, PuntaGordaFlyCharters.com, uh -huh. and uh, you know my my phone number's on there. You can email me through there. Uh, you can text me at the phone number there. Uh, it's a great website, and uh, it's pretty interactive in that way. And uh, just even if, but even if you just Googled, and you could not remember the website because I know how hard that is to do. Uh, if you just, you know, we Google Punta Gorda fly fishing, uh, mm -hmm. it would come up pretty, it would, it would come up. The interesting thing there is there's another Punta Gorda I'd love to go to is in Belize, uh, oh, which wow. is a great place to fish for Thurman. Yeah, Punta Gorda, Belize, which I believe is the southern end of the, of, of the country. And that's a place I've always wanted to go. I never have. Uh, and it's, it's tough to find time and, you know, and, you know, I always try to keep in mind that, you know, for me, okay, it's another day on the water, but, you know, a lot of the people that, that I get the, the good fortune to take have been looking forward to going for a long time, and uh, you have to remember that because uh, it's just like you planning your Alaska trip or me thinking about going to Belize, you know, you, you might put two years into preparing for that or a year or five yeah. months, and uh, that it's, uh, but that's, yeah, just Punta Gorda Fly Fishing, PuntaGordaFlyCharters.com, and, uh, uh, you know, we can chat any as much as anybody wants to. And I oh, always God. tell people, even that I have booked, you know, I said, hey, call me, text me. If you have questions, get a hold of me. Uh, 
you know, and, and another good thing about fishing the sound is we'll drive down together sometimes and uh, it gives us a chance to, to get to know each other before we get on the boat, which is nice. Absolutely. You know, rather than just getting on the yeah, rather than just getting on the boat and here we go, you know, and you're trying to, you know, you get you get 40 minutes to, to shoot the breeze and talk about fishing and get to know each other a little bit, and that that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's a much different experience, is it not, than getting on one of those uh, walk-on or head boats where you know you're just a, yeah. a you know your fisherman number 42, um, and yep. you, you you get them, you know. Uh, uh, be really a a, a um, you know a guy a guide to uh, someone's experience, and it's just you and them, you know. And and what a great opportunity it is for someone, you know, to rely on 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 you to help them, uh, you know, uh, see what they need to see and catch what they need to catch. And and um, I'll I'll bet most people consider you a very good friend when they get off the water. That's that's actually that's actually more important than. Uh... You know, in the end, you don't have that many friends in life because life's so busy, and uh, that's one of the, uh, the the things you forget about. But in the end, it ends up being uh, probably the most important part is is you make some really good friends out of it, and it's it's pretty cool. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Michael, I want to thank you uh, uh, truly for uh, spending time with us today. It's been a real pleasure uh, having you uh, share your time with us because I know you're a busy guy. And I just want to wish you a, a, a great uh, holiday season coming up in 2019, and then the best year ever for you, man, in 2020. It's it's been good, and I can't believe it is almost Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? I know time flies, doesn't it? It sure does. I appreciate the, I appreciate your time as well, Ted. I really do. Okay, you take care.